Hey guys, it's Liz. We recorded this episode with Todd nearly two years ago in February of 2020. Obviously, because of that, you won't hear any references to COVID or the pandemic we've all been dealing with, but it was such a good conversation, we couldn't resist putting it out for you guys to hear. We hope you enjoy, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at polosandkhakis underscore. Hey guys, it's Lizzie. What's going on, guys? It's Dan. And this is Polos and Khakis. With us today, we have Todd Sable, and we're going to talk about some rehab things. Uh, Todd got his BS from Marietta College and his master's from Ohio University. He is currently at Akron Children's Hospital and Mogador High School and is the owner of the Sports Med Discussion. Welcome, Todd. Thanks for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be on. We're happy to have you. So I have to ask you first off, I follow both you and uh, Corey Gregory on Instagram. Um, sure. And all the stuff that he does, you know, with his lunges in the 4 a.m. crew. What's it like to, you know, know him and be a part of, you know, that uh, group of people and just all the things that he does? Um, well, I mean, I, I was kind of a, I was a part of it for three years that, you know, the 4am crew at the gym. Um, and it's, it's still kind of surreal, you know, when I kind of take a step back and think about, um, you know, where I came from kind of being like a fanboy of his, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are. Yeah. And, uh, and then end up, he was, he was actually my first paid client with my business, which was actually like just so surreal. He was the first person that paid me actual money to provide rehab services for my personal business. So it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Just watching the stuff that he does and just on a daily basis, is just unreal to think about. And I'm sure he's just a great guy it, to be around. It's, it's insane. He, I mean, you, you would think with somebody with that level of success would, you know, kind of be arrogant and, you know, kind of detached from everybody else. But I mean, he's, I mean, he's literally, if not the first person there, one of the first people there at 4 a.m. I mean, his drive is insane, and he's there not just to lift weights, but to help everybody around you, around him evolve. And um, whether it's business or fitness, you know, or everything in between, he's there to help. So it's 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 a really cool place to be. I would encourage anybody who's listening, if they have a chance to get to Columbus, Ohio, to make the trip to Old School Gym in Pataskal, Ohio, for sure. Definitely have to look into it. So jumping into just rehab stuff. Um, are there mm-hmm. certain exercises or types of exercises that you incorporate into every rehab, no matter what? Um, I would I would say no, because as you guys know, it's every every situation is extremely individual to the person. Um, not to say that I don't have some you know some favorites. Um, I mean, I love if it's lower extremity, I love banded banded hit work for the glutes and hips. Um, Upper extremity, I'm always doing stuff with uh, scapular range of motion. You know how well the shoulder blades are moving on the, on the rib cage and the thoracic spine. Um, I think it's overlooked a lot, but I, w- I would say no. I don't use. There's not certain things that I you know put in there every single time. Although there's you know things that I'm sure just like with every athletic trainer, or physical therapist, there's things that you know you're kind of used to using more than others. So. I feel like that goes with most people, how they just have like their general two or three. Um, and then, you know, just again, based on the injury, you just kind of have to get creative and vary off of all that. Sure. I'm curious to hear more about um, what you use for your scapular uh, range of motion. Well, I, I mean, it, again, depending on the person, it's between the actual movement itself and then breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people just don't. Well, first of all, we don't breathe right. You know, I mean, I, I can say, and I talk, my, me and my wife laugh about it a lot. Like, 
if you think about when you're sitting or if you're in the car or just walking around, like you always kind of have your, your gut kind of sucked in, you know, whether it's like, oh, yeah, I feel a little bit more skinny this way, you know what I mean? But if we don't, because we don't do a lot of belly breathing, so we're doing a lot of chest and shoulders breathing. We're keeping a lot of tension up in our traps and shoulders. And then, you know, our levator scap gets tight, our upper traps get tight. And then, our, our, you know, we're staying in an elevated position all the time. So we don't work on scapular depression as much as we should. So, like, literally some things that I'll do, like, if you keep your, if you put your arms up to the side, one of the first things I'll do with somebody that struggles with scapular depression or rotation upward or downward is literally just working on twisting the arms up and twisting the arms back as far as they can. You'd be, you'd be surprised at how, how many people struggle with the, with the downward rotation of the scapula because it's not something that we do a lot, you know what I mean? And then in addition to that, just like working on thinking, you know, about keeping the shoulders down and engaging the lats because, again, if we're always kind of in that, you know, rounded shoulders, head forward posture, our lats aren't doing kind of what they should be doing. I, I always hear the analogy, and I kind of like it, in terms of like the lats are like the glutes of the upper extremity kind of keeping the shoulder where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, those are some things like just, you know, kind of off the bat that I always look for. Hmm. That is interesting to think about. Well, like when you think about upper extremity rehab, like you don't think of just overall posture. So like, do you talk to your clients and just, Hey, like when we're doing this rehab, also be mindful of like how you're sitting in a chair because kind of what we're doing now could be, you know, when we, when we move to sit, that could just kind of get away of everything that we just did. Sure. And yeah, and you get the the biggest thing that because again, like, I mean, like right now, like I'm, you know, I'm kind of hunched over trying to talk on the microphone on the, on the computer. But one thing that I really try to not do is like fear monger. Mm -hmm. So like, Hey, like we're all, all the stuff we're doing right now is going to get messed up when you're at work. You know, if you're on, if you're at a desk all day, like, so you have to be sitting up the whole time or else you're going to screw everything up. And then, you know, that that's on you. Um, so I don't try to do that because, you know, you can put a lot more stress and anxiety on somebody who's trying to, who's really trying to get better and kind of derail their rehab process. So one thing that I'll say is, you know, acknowledge that it's actually funny because my wife's struggling with this right now. So I've been working on some stuff with her and, and I'm like, you know, I know that you sit at the desk all day and you know, you're kind of hunched over to talk on the telephone, on the computer type of notes. And the, the, you can't, there's nothing you can do to change that. However, every 10 well, that might be a little bit much, but, you know, 20, 30 minutes, if you can get up and do two mobility exercises, you know, to work on kind of getting your shoulders back like we talked about with keep, you know, engaging your lats, getting your shoulders down, and just doing a little bit of mobility stuff with the neck, every 30 minutes, you know, that over time that'll add up, you know what I mean? Plus the rehab the rehab stuff on the side, you know, whether you, whatever, whatever the rehab sessions are for those. But if you can incorporate that stuff day by day, you can kind of ease their mind. You're still making progress, but you're not kind of interfering with your work day either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I, I hate the fear monger because that can, these people are trying to get better. They're already kind of confused and scared and frustrated. You want to add more on top of that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you say, don't think of a pink elephant and it's, it's hard not to. So just that added. <laughs> exactly. Added exactly. Um, so when you create, when you have your initial, you know, assessment or, you know, evaluation of your client or patient, um, you know, and you design your rehab program, you know, what's that process like? Do you usually go week to week? Do you kind of just kind of see how it goes or do you sit down and map out like the whole process? Yeah. Um, so the, the evaluation process is pretty, I'm sure it's pretty similar to, you know, what you guys do, what most athletic trainers do, um, in terms of mapping out the rehab process, if it's a, if it's a kid that I have, like at the high school that I work at, um, I'm probably honestly going to be going almost day by day because I know I get to see them every day, check in with them. And what I found is at the beginning when I was, you know, first getting out of school, I'm like, yeah, I have this awesome six week, 
ankle mobility program or six week uh, knee rehab. And then you get a week into it and they're like, oh, well, I'm way past this already. Or man, I'm like way far behind. And then you got to go and redo everything. So now if it's like, you know, an online person or somebody that, you know, when I was, when I had my business in Columbus that I wasn't seeing every day, you know, probably, you know, in that it's, it's a week by week, but if it's somebody I can have the chance to see every day, like at the high school, it's almost day by day because I can kind of check in, we can tweak things. Um, so it's a lot more fluid than, than what I used to be when I was first getting out of school. So. I feel like I like that process better anyway. I think that, like you said, in the traditional setting, when you're privileged enough to see that patient every day and it's, mm-hmm. you have that flexibility, it's really nice because I think you get more out of it that way that it's not just assumed that things are going to go as planned. But I can see why you would be forced into that week-to-week or longer-term kind of planning schedule with those non-traditional patients. Yeah, sure. And if it's somebody that you don't see on a normal basis, then yeah, you have to adjust and nothing's ever going to go to exactly how you planned it. Um, so you have to kind of put that in there because you also, the, the thing that also thing that, that you, that you don't, or that I didn't think about at the beginning, you know, when you're at first out of school, if you're new in the rehab process is if you have a plan set out and that it doesn't go to plan for that person, they think that they feel like they are failing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it kind of goes back to that psychosocial aspect of, man, I must not be doing enough or I'm not doing this right. And then they get more depressed, more anxious, and then it kind of sends them down that rabbit hole of not getting the results that they want and feel like it's their fault. Mm. When you uh, had your clients on that week-to-week basis, did you check in like in between those visits at all? Like say, hey, like how the, the next couple of days doing? Or like were they able to give you feedback you know, before they came back and saw you? Or like, how did that work? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, when I, when I had my the business in Columbus, normally I would I would still kind of see a lot of them in the gym, um, even if I wasn't working with them. So I kind of check in with them. But if it wasn't somebody that that I saw or somebody at a, you know at a, a different gym, um, I my, my policy was basically you can text me anytime, um, basically text call anytime, and then like one FaceTime, Skype, you know, etc. A week. Um, so I still had very regular contact with the people, even if I wasn't seeing them every day. So. Was that hard to kind of keep a work-life balance if your clients were that uh, readily accessible? Um, well, I, I will say, I, I will, I'll say no, because um, until last year, I was by myself. Me and my wife did distance for like four and a half years. So I didn't have to, you know, I, I didn't have to worry about like being with her physically because we were two hours apart. So I kind of just immersed myself in, in my work. And then even, even when we lived together for the, well, we're living together now, but even last year, um, she was at work in the mornings when, I, when I'd be doing all this stuff. So I, I didn't have to really worry about that either. Um, and burnout something that I've never experienced. And, you know, who knows what will happen in the future, but I, I really am passionate about what I do. So um, I don't really have a problem with that. And, it's you know, it's not like, I, I was in a very specific niche at that time. So like it was a lot of powerlifters, bodybuilders. So like my patient load wasn't he, like huge. Mm. So, I mean, it, it was something that, you know, if I had 40, 50, 60 patients, then yeah, that's probably not, not too feasible. And at, at that point, you know, I would probably need more people on my staff, but, um, but yeah, it, it wasn't affecting my work-life balance, but also because I don't let it because it's something that I really enjoy. Mm. You said you had a specific niche of, you know, of clientele um, in your, in your business. Like, did you go, you know, I know the Arnold every year is close to Columbus. Like, I know, did you try and like just market yourself to certain people or you just kind of use your social media as you know, your marketing tool? 
Um, I, the, the marketing thing was kind of, and still, still to this day, kind of tough because it's something you don't learn in, in uh, athletic training school. Um, but I, I would, I kind of, I guess, just veered towards that um, kind of naturally because that's where I, you know, I was training with training with Corey and the 4M crew and doing some powerlifting. I think I did five meet five powerlifting meets. I did one bodybuilding show. So I was like kind of in that um, in that realm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was at the Arnold every year. I, I helped out with Corey's supplement company um, at, at the booth every year. Um, worked with, you know, a handful of high, pretty high level people. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I think I just kind of feared that way naturally because it's what I enjoyed doing, like in terms of my own training, um, as opposed to like, and I, I'm trying to immerse myself in a little bit of CrossFit and some other things like, you know, distance running and stuff too, to kind of get more well-rounded and so I can treat those people better too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of where, you know, if you're passionate about CrossFit, like I know guys who are really passionate about CrossFit. Um, like the ATC Solution guys, and they most of the people they treat are out of you know out of a CrossFit gym. Um, so you don't want to. And I'm still pretty. I'm still new at this. Like you know, I'm still I'm still learning and failing and and you know doing a bunch of trial and error. But you want to eventually find your niche. That's like one thing that a lot of the cash based PTs and cash based ATs will say. But you don't want to like start out and be like I'm only treating these people because you you'll never you know probably you know, it'll be hard to generate a wide clientele. So you want to start out wide and then kind of find that niche. So. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you got into cash based AT? Yeah. Um, it, it all stemmed from old school gym. Um, basically long story short, <laughs> I could, t- I could talk about this for a long time and I'll try, so I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I wanted to get the old school gym for a long time. Didn't do it. I was scared, nervous, you know, whatever. Finally got there. Um, and like you guys said at the beginning, I got my master's degree from OU. Um, old school gym was like an hour and 15 minutes from, from Athens where OU was. So my buddy like convinced me to go drive there one day and train. And I got back and, uh, I was like, I will never be able to, you know, duplicate that atmosphere with those guys and just how crazy it was. Um, so I bought a membership and I ended up driving two and a half hours round trip every day, um, during my second year of grad school, um, getting up at two forty-five in the morning, doing all that before 8am class, which is pretty wild. Um, a lot of coffee, but you know, so and I, during that time, you know, I, I see, you know, Corey and these guys who have taken their passion and been able to market it and, you know, almost just kind of 10 exit to a point where they're helping so many more people and creating, you know, awesome lives for themselves in a different realm. And I, I just never thought about that for athletic training because it's, you know, go to school, work at a high school, work at a college, you may admit if you're lucky, you know, work at a you know, professional team, whatever. And I never thought of, you know, kind of non-traditional pathway before. So when I started thinking about this, I, you know, I started searching around, I, I find people like, Alicia Pennington, the ATC Solution guys, Mike Stella, Andy Fortuna. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving people out, but um, the Innovate AT. And, you know, I just start seeing, like, how can I actually make this work? And at the end of the day, it's, you know, you get if, if, if I get to where I want to be, you know, it's going to be my full-time thing. Even though I love working at the high school, I do want to say that because I really enjoy it. But I want to help a wider variety of people. And, you know, we always talk about with athletic training being a pretty poor profession in terms of the, you know, what we're uh, compensated for. Um, you can you can create your own 
really your own wages in, in terms of that, as long as you have the clientele to do that. And the best part is, and this, this is why I want to do cash-based athletic training, is you're not, you don't have all the red tape of insurance. Mm-hmm. So, and what, kind of the, the biggest thing when I, when I do presentations and stuff is if I'm not bound down by insurance and I can only do things that they can, or that I can bill insurance for so they can make their money, I can get you better care because I'm not doing all the fluff and the extra stuff so they can make their money and make their cash. I can get you exactly what you need and, you know, potentially have you better quicker. Hmm. I guess that's something to think about. Yeah. There's always a third party involved. Yeah. Hmm. So we kind of got off track from, from <laughs> rehab. Um, but again, sorry. Again, no, all, the, all the information you've given us is, has been great so far. Yeah. Um, so when you know, you are again, we're back to create our rehab plan. You know, are there any considerations? Mm-hmm. You know, when you make it, like, or something like, hey, like, here are the key points that we need to look at, or you know, what's that like? Um, the the, the biggest thing, and I, I've posted I've posted about this before. When I'm creating a rehab plan, and I'm you know talking through it with the patient, especially if it's a high school kid. Um, have you are you have you guys heard of the peace and love method? No. The, British Journal of Sports Medicine. Okay, I, I'll send you a picture t- on, on Twitter too. Um, but basically, you know, we have Rice, Price, you know, all, all those acronyms for how to treat treat a uh, treat an acute injury. Um, there was a police method in 2015 that we learned about at OU. Dr. Starkey taught us that. And then in April of last year, 2019, the British, British Journal of Sports Medicine came out with this peace and love method. And I, I, I pulled up a picture of it on my screen so I can – remember all the, what the, what all the, uh, the letters mean, but it's, it's really, and I'm sure a lot of people do it anyways now, like kind of without thinking about it, but it's awesome to have it like in front of you and be like, I can make sure I hit all these points. So it's peace and love. And basically what, what it is, is the peace stands for protection, elevation, avoiding anti-inflammatories, compression, education, love stands for load, optimism, vascularization, and exercise. Hmm. So the, the, what I what I really really love about it is it's you know it's, it's it's split up between peace and love. The peace is the acute stage of the injury, so that that's all all the things you need to do in the acute stage. Mm-hmm. The love is the subacute, so the things that you can you know once you have them back to sport, what can we do to help them be more resilient to not getting injured down the road and reducing their risk of injury further after they've gotten back to sport. The other thing that I really really enjoy, and this is the first thing that I've, the first method of injury management method I've seen with this is the psychosocial factors mm-hmm. that go into injury is the, um, the education, especially at the high school level is so valuable. And, you know, it, and then, you know, obviously not going into like anatomy physiology, like super, super detailed, but you know, Hey, this is what happened in your body. This is what we're going to do to help get you back to sport. This is what you need to focus on. And, you know, these are the steps we're going to take. And then the other part, the uh, the optimism is huge too, because if, you know, and there, there's tons of numbers to back this up and stats to back this up is if you have a more optimistic setting for rehab, that they're going to get back to sport quicker. It's just that's that just the stats showing that. Um, so that's that's like kind of how I structure it, and you know, I don't know if there there's a way we can link this to to the uh, episode or whatever, but um, and I'll I'll throw it up on Instagram again too because I, I put a video up a long time ago about it, but. Um, that's how I structure it because, you know, if, if you follow those things, um, expect, and especially, and again, I'll, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but the, the education, the optimism goes so far in these, the athletes feel like they're in control of their rehab. They're going to be more compliant. They're going to be more trusting of you. 
and they're going to have better outcomes. So, and it, and it goes hand in hand, obviously, with all the things that we that we know and that we do in terms of the sports medicine side of things. But if you can get them on board and the compliance is better, the outcomes are always going to be better. Hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. We can definitely link that in the um, episode description. So, okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. I definitely think if you can give them the why behind what of like the reason why you're doing things, I think the buy-in is definitely. You said the compliance is way higher, and the buy-in. Um, you know, it kind of makes it more fun too, because they understand that it's helping them get better. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes mm-hmm. we don't give our patients enough credit of what they do understand and what they're willing to learn about as it pertains to them. I think that a lot of times it's the philosophy, of like dumb it down to the least amount possible, or just don't explain it. Just expect them to comply. But you make a great point that if, if they know why and they know what and how, then at least that gives them an opportunity to want to be compliant more than just following orders. <laughs> well, yeah, and then and there's there's some people who who will want to know like the in depth anatomy of their knee or their shoulder, and there's other people that just want you know this is what happened, this is what we're gonna do, this is gonna fix it, and this is gonna get you back to your sport. Like, and that's that's a cool thing because you can go way down the rabbit hole with person A and then just give the bare minimum for person B. But you'll have the same effect because everybody responds to things differently, and some people don't care. Some people do. They, just, you know, some people want to know everything. Some people just want to get better. So, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Individualized rehab. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, in your rehab progressions, you said whether it's day to day or week to week, what are kind of some of the benchmarks that you like to use for progressions? Just in general. Um, yes. Yeah, so just in general, it would be you know if I'm doing range of motion, I, I don't do I don't do goniometry, you know, you know, call the police on me, whatever. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I I do for the lower extremity, and I'm I'm and I'll, I'll admit this on, on you know anything, I'm way more comfortable with lower extremity rehab just because you know I I play collegiate soccer, soccer forever. That's kind of you know where I spend most of my time um, in college. Um, I did my thesis work on lower extremity functional evaluation so like i'll do these four functional exams if it's if it's from the hip or below i'm doing those every time um for upper extremity i'll take you know some of the fms um you know just have some benchmarks of you know and i'll always video them so we can go back and so you know um i'll I'll test and it's it's generally i'll test you know every couple weeks to kind of see where we're at um, so we can compare the videos and it, that's another thing that, that helps with compliance too, is when they can see what they're doing and it seems to help out a lot, especially with the high school kids. They, they like to see that. Um, so yeah, those are the benchmarks that I use in terms of the functional part, um, range of motion, obviously at every joint, um, whether it's upper, upper extremity, lower extremity. And then, um, kind of going back to what we were talking about a second ago, a big thing that though, and I ask this every single day and some of the kids get annoyed with me is how did it feel? Did you feel better? Was it easier? Was your pain lower? You know what I mean? So honestly, I'll use, I'll use, I use those probably more than anything because they, they, they don't care that they have five more degrees of hip, internal rotation in their hip. They care that they, they, they feel better when they're squatting or they're moving or they're cutting. Um, so so I, honestly, especially with the high school kids, I'll use that more. Um, but obviously we need data that you know shows that we're doing it, what we're doing is working. Um, and obviously I'm documenting that, but I, with, especially with the younger kids, they respond better to, do you feel better? Can you play better? Mm-hmm. So that, those are the kind of some of the benchmarks that I use gen- generally. The things that insurance doesn't really care about yeah. on paper. 
Exactly. And with doctors, mm-hmm. usually doctors want to see numbers, numbers, cold hard facts, yeah, numbers based. So again, yes. it comes back to you know who you're reporting to and you know what works for you know your population who you're working with. Mm-hmm. So you've worked again. You have your own business, you have your own like niche, working with five billers, and now you're working at a high school. Um, so what's like the most unique rehab you've had to deal with? Um, the most unique rehab. Um, I would say I've had two that were pretty unique. Uh, number one was, um, last year when I was at the, my previous high school, I had a kid, um, actually he texted me this morning. He, he's in college now, but, uh, he keeps in touch. He tore his ACL, I think week five of football season. And against all of our advice, he did not get surgery. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he elected not get surgery and wanted to try to rehab to uh, play basketball. For basketball season, okay. So uh, yeah, it was very yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, literally every <laughs> everybody and their mother was like, "Dude, <laughs> you got to get surgery. You have to get surgery." Um, but he elected not to get surgery. You know, had to go through all the paperwork. Like, you know, had his parents sign off. Like, you know, he's going against our medical advice. Blah blah blah. Um, but he, I mean, he was a great kid, and we rehabbed the heck out of his hips. Got as much strength in him as we could, and he. He ended, I, I don't remember what week of basketball season that he started to play. I know it, was, it wasn't week one, um, but, it, I mean, it was fairly early on in the season. He played the whole season with no problems, which was, which was really, really cool. Um, you know, getting to see him play on, on, on senior night and just all that stuff. He uh, it was one of those kids who was a super hard worker, very gritty, wasn't the best skilled player ever, wasn't going to go play in college. Um, but just to kind of see him finish out his senior year was awesome. Um, but there was a lot of challenges with that too. Um, the other, the other one that I would say, and this was, this was in my, in my, uh, side business was I had this like 60 year old power lifter and his name was Ted. He, Ted is my guy. And, uh, he could squat 405 pounds, like walk it out, squat it, you know, like it was nothing, but he couldn't walk. Like he, like his, he couldn't walk because he had a bunch of, a bunch of injuries with his ankles, um, subtalar joint, and a bunch of other like you know health issues. And uh, long story short, he just wanted to be able to walk better. And uh, so <laughs> we worked on all this kind of footwork, this ankle mobility for uh, probably a couple months, I would say. Um, and I think I posted videos of it before. I could always throw it up again, but. From when we started working together to probably, I would say, two months into it, he, I remember him coming into me one day in, into the uh, weight room, and he said, Todd, I was able to play with my grandson and walk around the grocery store and have no pain and not be you know, debilitated for four days afterwards. I'm like, man, that's cool. You know what I mean? Um, and we did a lot of things that I never thought I'd be doing, um, just in terms of just like weird, you know, weird footwork, some motor control stuff. Um, but you know, having the having a guy that can squat four hundred five pounds, deadlift four hundred pounds, who's, who's sixty years old but can't walk, was definitely definitely interesting. So those are probably my two uh, most unique rehab experiences. That's, That's wild. <laughs> yeah, that makes me feel it, weak it, knowing it, that a sixty year old can squat. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I think, and he didn't. He didn't. He's not. He wasn't very like you know 
he didn't brag enough, or he didn't brag enough, in my opinion. But he didn't brag much at all. But I think he was a pretty high level powerlifter when he was, you know, younger in his thirties and forties. So, mm-hmm. but he he kept it up and he still trained hard. It was it was cool to watch. So small victories, you know, being able to you know, yeah. play with your loved ones and just be able to you know, do life without pain. You know, that's that's what we're looking for. You know, as clinicians. Exactly. Oh, that's what makes makes the job great. Oh. Yes. So I'm curious to hear um, about more of what you do at Akron's Children's Hospital. <laughs> um, I saw I saw I saw this question. Um, honestly, I got hot. So long story, like a little background. My wife wanted to move home. She was homesick. So we like literally got married last July, and then moved at right after our honeymoon. So I mean, as you guys know, you know, two day start. What first week of August. Like, we moved home the second week of August, so I got hired on at Akron, like, the week of our first scrimmage. So, like, two days were over. Um, so, it was, like, very last minute, and I, like, I, so I literally haven't done anything at the hospital. <laughs> I've only been at, I've only been at uh, the high school. I'm, I, I'm supposed to get, once it gets a little bit slower after basketball is over, I think I'm supposed to get implemented into their rotation at the hospital, like, in the clinic, and to do some, uh, like, surgery observations and stuff, but... I, li- I literally haven't done anything at the hospital yet. <laughs> so, well, I'm sure it's a whirlwind getting married and having to move and just starting a job right off the bat, yeah. mid season. Wow. That's yeah. A, it was a it was a wild couple of weeks. <laughs> that's, that's adulting at its finest, yeah. right there. If, if anything. Yes. Um, <laughs> just rapid fire life changes. <laughs> yes. Um, so something that we do know that you have done a lot of um, is your uh, sports med discussion podcast with Jeremy Jackson. Can you just elaborate more on that? Uh, yeah, so the, the sports medicine broadcast, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I think I've done five or six episodes with Jeremy. I, I, my first one was actually at NATA with him last year um, where I had Joe Green on talking about uh, th- third-party billing, ironically, <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about insurance. Um but, uh, and then me and Jeremy just kind of kept in contact after that. And he wanted me to, uh, kind of co-host some shows with him. And I think we're, we're going to have a cash based, um, kind of series coming up here, which would be pretty cool. Try to get some, some, some of the Mike Stellas of the world and, and some guys like that to talk about what they do because they, they're doing it at a very high level. I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a rookie compared to all of them because they're, they're doing some really, really great things. Um, so hopefully we'll be doing that soon. Um, I, I had my own podcast a while ago where we had like 50 episodes, but that's that's no longer a thing. I don't, I, 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 I just don't want you guys to get those confused. But the one that I do with Jeremy is really really cool. I think he I think he's had like 600 episodes or something crazy like that. So he's been doing it for a long time, killing it. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely definitely recommend checking that out too. So the sports medicine broadcast, I love. He just keeps yes. finding new things to talk about. It's very impressive with hundreds of episodes. Yeah, he he does he does an awesome job. He has great guests. Uh, he, yeah, I mean he's he, he's killing it. He's, he was also like our first mentor in the in the podcast world. He kind of latched on and said, "Hey, you know, love to help you any way possible." So he able to gave us a platform to help us, you know, kind of raise our um, our uh, viewership, I should say at least. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I I will say too. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like a like the behind the scenes photo of what he has <laughs> at his school, but he's got like <laughs> like ten monitors and it's just insane. 
we uh, we used his setup at NATA last year, and you know we just use a laptop and two microphones, and he has the whole setup, and it's it's very yeah. professional. But yeah, he definitely goes all out with with his broadcast. Mm. For sure. So the sport med discussion. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us more about it? Yeah, so it, it's it's kind of like a, a multifaceted business, um, you know, for better or worse. I, I started it as, and it's I, I joked with you guys before we before we started about the name. Um, I started it for my pupil activity workshops. So basically, what that what those are is in Ohio, coaches have to have certain certifications, like sports medicine workshops, they have to attend um, to be able to coach legally. It's like one of their like ten things they got to check off before they coach. Um, so they have, they have to sit through this workshop and I worked for this guy for free for like two years. I took over half of his, half of his company, these workshops, um, will hopefully be taking over the whole, you know, the whole business here in a couple of years. He, he's a little bit older, so I think he's kind of getting ready to, to get out of it. Um, but I, you know, travel all over the state. I do these workshops with the coaches and I was trying to find, I was trying to find something that, you know, implemented sports medicine and, you know, education so I came up with sports med discussion, you know, whatever it's, I'll probably change it one day. Well, once I have my own clinic, but, um, but that's kind of the first aspect of it. The second aspect is the, um, the actual cash based athletic training service, which, which in Columbus I had, I was running that out of old school gym. And then, uh, once I moved back up, up to Northeast Ohio in the Akron area, uh, I'm currently still in the process of finding a physician, um, which if you see, if you see me posting on Twitter and stuff has been very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, f- I found one that's very interested. I just have to basically convince his uh, the, the the people that he works for um, that handle his my practice insurance. I won't be a liability if he brings me on. So, so that that's kind of the two aspects of it. Gotcha. I think that's one of the things I've always been really curious about about um, cash based practice and uh, kind of non traditional practice of getting that physician approval and someone to be like your supervising physician. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's it's challenging because it, it is an extra liability for for the person who would be your standing orders doc. Um, it also it also varies very much by state. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio is pretty liberal. Like you can <laughs> you can have an MD, a DO, a PT, chiropractor, or a dentist be your standing orders physician. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't I, don't ask me don't ask me why about the dentist, but that's that's in our state practice act, which is pretty wild. Um, but I, I know some some states it's only an MD or a DO. Um, so like the the position that I had in uh, in, or in the Columbus area was my team doc at the high school, mm. and he was an independent doctor, so he had like his own you know malpractice insurance, liability insurance. So like it was pretty much a no brainer. Like he he just like you know sign sign the dotted line. Um, but with like, you know, somebody who's with the hospital organization, it's a little bit harder because the organization handles their malpractice insurance. So you got to kind of make the pitch to them. So that's, that's what I'm in the process of doing right now is working up a contract and just trying to show them that I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> I just can't imagine sitting there and be like, okay, MD, DO, PT would work. What about a dentist? I feel like they'd be a great <laughs> standing order. Like... Well, I did learn that dentists are legally allowed to do uh, plastic surgery, I believe. Really? Yes. In some states, your dentist can perform plastic surgery. So, if anybody listening is thinking about having plastic surgery, make sure it's not a dentist. Because that's an option. Very interesting. (laughs) I'm curious why dentists get all these privileges, though. (laughs) 
Me too. Their, their schooling must be like crazy. <laughs> I will vouch. I have my college roommate in undergrad. He's in dental school right now. And the schooling is pretty rough, but yeah, I don't think I would go to him for any MSK issues. Be like, hey, here's what I <laughs> No offense to him, but I feel like yeah. I have to go to an MD or DO for that. Sure. Maybe they have wonderful lobbying groups that have just somehow snuck in a lot of really good legislation. <laughs> Some, somebody's working hard over there for them, that's for sure. <laughs> and if any dentists are listening, we're not bashing your profession. No, 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 no. Not, not at all. Not at all. No. Not at all, but. But if you are listening, could you explain these things to us? <laughs> yeah, we yeah reach out. That'd be awesome. Like we could have a separate podcast for that. Yeah, just yes. for Dennis. <laughs> so you're obviously uh, very vocal and present on social media. Um, could you tell us about how you use that in a way to promote yourself and your business, but also the profession as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, even in 2020, not a lot of people know what we do. Mm-hmm. So in terms of just advocacy for athletic training, um, I mean, that I mean, that kind of goes, you know, without, without saying, I mean, everything that, I mean, you can literally, with, with the platform and, you know, with how social media is, like, the right posts at the right time, seen by the right person could just blow up, you know what I mean? So, um I, I, I mean, I, like you said, I'm, I'm very uh, active on social media, um, whether it's promoting athletic training, um, my brand, whatever. It's, it's just a great tool because you can reach so many people, whether it's fellow athletic trainers, potential clients or patients, um, you know, other, other healthcare professionals. I mean, I, I've interacted with athletic trainers that I, ne- I never would have if it wasn't for social media, other healthcare professionals, um, you know, very constructive uh conversations with chiropractors and PTs. I've, I've even, uh, even after grad, when I was out of grad school, I went and I've went and, uh, observed chiropractors in their office because you know, they were doing some really cool things that I wanted to learn from. And I, you know, if I wasn't for social media, I would never, never even knew who they were. Um, so just in terms of a, uh, you know, networking tool, it's awesome. But, um, as an educational tool as well, um, but kind of like what I said earlier about, you know, if I know I'm only going to see somebody once a week or maybe once every two weeks, um, I, I use I use social media for, you know, kind of a, re, a little, uh, for lack of a better term, a rehab library. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I know I'm not going to see somebody for two weeks, I'll put together one of those videos, you know, hey, here, here's what you need to do for your anterior knee pain. Um, instead of just writing it down on a post note or sending them an email and then having a, a 10 email thread back and forth of, well, how do I do this? Where does the band need to be? Where do... You know, what, what, where do my knees need to, you know, what angle do my knees need to be at, so on and so forth. I have the videos right there. It's a little bit easier to see. Obviously, you have a visual representation of what should be going on. Um, so I, I think it's an awesome educational tool. And, it, you know, you hear people who have a negative outlook on it, and they're just not either consuming it right or using it right. Mm. I'm definitely a fan of it. I see, you know, your posts all the time, you know, the rehab exercises. Um, and I've definitely used them in the past, you know, with my patients. But, hey, you know, I think this is a awesome. great tool, so. You know, definitely a plug cool. because it's definitely a good, you know, tool and resource to have. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Do you feel like when you were at um, Old School Gym, it was an opportunity mm-hmm. to reach kind of a group of people that didn't necessarily know what we did before? 100%, yeah. Um, because, it, I mean, number one, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the powerlifters are uh, pretty stubborn. So, they're, you know, they're either just like, 
you know, you'd see guys just rubbing icy hot on everything and, you know, just kind of pushing through the pain and so on and so forth. And I mean, for, for a year before I even started, you know, treating people at the gym, I was kind of, you know, throwing in my two cents, like, you know, Hey, this is what I do. You know, if you need any, if you need any advice or a couple, you know, warm up, warm up tools or a couple of things that might help your elbow pain while you're squatting or knee pain while you're squatting, like try a couple of these things. So I would just always kind of throw my two cents in there. And I think that was a big thing that helped, you know, people feel confident and trusting of me when they wanted to, you know, pay me money to help them feel better. Um, is kind of showing you, Hey, athletic trainers are really smart and we know what we're doing. We know, we know the human body and we know how to, you know, fix certain movement patterns or dysfunctions that you have um, with the, with the knowledge that we have and the schooling that we have. So I think it was huge for, 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 uh, I mean, (laughs) what I was going to say sounds like I'm like making a huge movement, but you know, a handful of guys at the gym know that athletic trainers are very smart and, you know, they know what we do now, which is cool. Um, and, you know, Corey's advocated advocated for us on, on some of his podcasts, on social media posts. So, like, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I feel like we talk – we've talked to Mike Hopper and Alicia and you and people that are very vocal on social media and definitely use that as an advocacy platform and – we talked to Tori Lindley for an entire episode about advocacy. And I think that one of the things we overlook is like that, the face-to-face advocacy that you're talking about, that if you talk to five guys in the gym and they realize like, whoa, that's super helpful. We should do more of that. Then that advocacy is just as important. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's priceless and you know, social media is awesome. Like we, we just talked about it, but like how how cool would it be, you know, if there's five gyms in in a big city, or okay, twenty gyms in a big city, and five of those gyms have athletic trainers working as a cash based athletic trainer out out of them, how, you know, and all those people are being exposed to the knowledge that we have and the tools that we have and the you know the amount of help that we can give them, like how, how cool would that be? You know what I mean? How fa- how how much faster would it spread? Because the, the the general the general gym goer or person in the gym doesn't know what we do because we're not in that setting you know what I mean that's that's a whole that's a whole population and that's another that I'm I'm trying to reach is that that's a very underserved population you know what I mean so I think that could go a long way for helping us promote and advocate for ourselves yeah they could make a lot more money for those five gyms out of the twenty that had us but I think the first couple of times people would be like hey I don't like, you probably don't know what you're talking about. It's just, like, general gym knowledge. But I think being able to, you know, be like, hey, you can look me up on Instagram. You can look, look, look me up on Twitter. You know, like, I actually, you know, can help you and actually educate, you know, why your knee hurts or why, you know, you have a hip pain. So I think just, again, staying persistent and, you know, just still trying to help that, again, that population that you want to serve is, is big. I, I think – I'm sorry. I just wonder if there would be any pushback from personal trainers – if athletic trainers entered a gym setting? I mean, we provide different things. I I, I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I 100% see what you're saying because, I mean, it's the same thing with PTs getting mad at us for infiltrating their space, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, historically been their space too. But at, at the end of the day, um, I mean, yeah, you, you'll, ha- you'll have that no matter what. Um, yeah, I mean, I you'll have pushback be- either way, but... We're, we're providing a different service than they are. 
if they can't see past that, then then that's on them for having a scarce mindset, you know, mm. um, because we're, you know, it's not like we're trying to like put, hey, we know more than you, so we're going to push you out of here. Because I know some freaking smart personal trainers who would probably blow me out and test, you know what I mean? Mm. But um, we provide different things. And if we collaborate, which we talk about in athletic training all the time as well, if we collaborate with them, the, the patients are only going to benefit. I think it can be similar to like working at a school where you have an athletic trainer and a strength coach where, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be like, Hey, you know, your client today having, you know, this, this, and this, let's try and lay off. And I think that open communication between, you know, you and the personal trainer can go a long way. So it's like, it's more of a tag team rather than, you know, you guys going against each other. Exactly. I like it. I think it is too. Yeah. I never thought of working in like that, like a gym setting, like where, you know, if you're having pain, go see our, you know, on-site or liaison of an athletic trainer, you know, and, you know, figure something out. Yeah, I agree. I never thought Mm -hmm. about it until this moment. And I feel foolish because it's a phenomenal idea. Like, why doesn't that happen? (laughs) I mean, it's not like when I was at old school, it's not like I was like, you know, at, we we trained from four to six. It's not like I was sitting there from six a.m. to noon before I went to the high school. And we're like, hey, yeah, I'm over here if you guys need me. <laughs> um, but but like they they knew that I was around. You know what I mean? And like you know, my business cards were there. And if they wanted an evaluation or they they had questions, they knew how to contact me. So I you know, and they they knew that my availability was all, basically all morning, so they could contact me ahead of time and I could you know I could check them out. So it's a, it's a huge. Like I said, it's a huge underserved population, and it's a huge area that, I mean, in the next 10 years, I think cash-based athletic training and, for that matter, just cash-based physical therapy, too, are going to be huge because I think people, a lot of people are getting fed up with the insurance uh, the insurance stuff. So Now I'm going to think about that whenever I go to the gym and be like, wow, I can just help all these people, and <laughs> it'd be great. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a huge opportunity. Hmm. Hmm. Don't have to think about it. Okay, we're going to ask our standard question that we ask everybody. What is your advice to athletic trainers or athletic training students about anything? Anything you want. Try and experience as much as you can. And I say that because, like, you know, programs do a good job of, you know, upper extremity, lower extremity, equipment intensive, blah, blah, blah. Um, but go out to a PT clinic, go out to a chiropractor's office, go to, you know, go see a couple surgeries, go to, you know, a, a sport that you wouldn't see in a, in a typical, uh, you know, collegiate setting or high school setting. Um, because my, my biggest fear now, now that I kind of know what I know, and there's way more possible possibilities and realms that I ever thought were possible when I was in school, like my biggest fear is just, and my biggest fear for other people is just going and doing something that they don't enjoy every day. Um, and there's so many realms of athletic training that are like we, like we said, are being underserved or haven't been found yet that, you know, that next person who, you know, is is trying to experience new things could be that person to find a whole new realm of athletic training. So I would just constantly be on the lookout for things and experiences that, that you could learn from. And if, if you hate it, then you know that that's not something you want to do for the next 40 years of your life. If you love it, then, you know, do more research on it. Go, go observe somebody else or, you know, go out, go observe another competition or something. It just never stop trying to experience new things and, and learn more. That's probably the biggest advice I have. I like it. I like it. Open-mindedness. Yeah. I think yes. the more and more you 
like not shelter yourself and just kind of again broaden your horizon and kind of figure stuff out i think it'd be a more well-rounded clinician yes 100 percent. well this was great todd thanks for coming on yeah thank you guys for having me this is cool yeah it's been a pleasure uh you're todd sportsman both instagram and twitter right yes Perfect. There you go. Uh, if you're not following him already, give him a follow now. Um, he's definitely posting great content every day, so don't be afraid to give him a shout. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And make sure you get your 10 pages in today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, guys. And as always, remember who you are. And make good choices.